Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Las Musas podcast. My name is Terry Catasus Jennings, and I'm the author of the Definitely Dominguitas chapter book series. Today, I'm joined by Alisa Bermudez, Alexandra Diaz, and Aida Salazar. And today, on this episode of Ask a Musa, we'll be talking about finances. And this is the second part of our chat about finances. Alexandra, can you start us off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your book, please? Hi, everyone. Buenos dias, buenas tardes. I'm Alexandra Diaz. I am the author of The Only Road, The Crossroads, and Santiago's Road Home, all of which are modern day immigration novels, middle grade novels. I have some YA novels as well, which are out of print, but that is me. And thank you so much for having me here. Alisa, how about you? Hi, I'm Alyssa. Thank you. I'm the author illustrator of an upcoming graphic novel called Big Apple Diaries, which debuts in August. I've also illustrated about um, eight other books. Hi, Dad. Tell us all about your work. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be on this podcast. I'm an author of two middle grade verse novels called The Moon Within, and the other is called Land of the Cranes. And I've got a bunch of books coming out. I've got um, several picture books. Um, I've trans I'm a translator. I've translated picture books and a novel. Um, yeah, and just a lot of exciting things happening for me in the, the book world. For me. And, and I'm one of the founders of, co-founders of Las Musas. Absolutely, and thank you for that. We're all very delighted that you have done this. Okay, so now I am a Cuban-American author of a chapter book series, and Dominguita is a Cuban-American third grader who has current day adventures while taking on um, the persona of characters in the classics that her abuela read to her as bedtime stories. And um, the series is from Simon & Schuster, and they're illustrated by Fatima Anaya. So I think we have all the introductions out of the way. And now let's get started by talking about advances. Have the size of the advances and payment structures changed uh, due to the pandemic? And how have you navigated this change? Uh, Alexandra, I'm gonna start with you again. I honestly have not seen a difference uh, between publishing my first book in 2008, or at least getting the contract in 2008, and getting contracted for my upcoming book last summer. So I really have not seen a difference in advances um, one way or another in, in my time of being an author. All right, thank you. Alyssa, have you seen any differences? Well, luckily, advanced sizes have been changing for me over time. Uh, I feel like that's probably due to experience and also author illustrating a graphic novel is a very different undertaking to anything I've done before. Um, and luckily, I signed the contracts at the end of 2019, which set up three, it was a three book deal. So setting up until 2023. So luckily, um, everything's still on track and the, the delays with things aren't because of of COVID, it's, it's mostly just delays in the process of creating it. Mm -hmm. 
I that you was, do have a lot. Go ahead and tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was um, it was considerably different. I, I also switched publishers. I got a book deal from uh, I was I am with Scholastic and um, and then I got a book deal with Penguin and and Penguin changed their payment structure. Um, so Scholastic normally will pay 50% on signing and for 50% on delivery and acceptance. And that hasn't changed for Scholastic, but for Penguin and the contract with Penguin, it was four installments. And that was really surprising to me. Very, very surprising. It was uh, upon uh, signing, upon delivery and acceptance, um, uh, upon publishing, and then a year after publishing. And I was like, what? This is really insane. Um, but that was what they had offered because when I signed, it was kind of in the middle of the pandemic last year. And it was a little bit um, tenuous. You know, the, the, the industry was kind of like scraping and trying to figure out, you know, how they were gonna stay afloat and whether or not books were selling and all of this. So. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But luckily, um, I have a very good agent, Marietta Zacker, who, who fought for us to have a, a three, a three um, a part um, um, payment structure. So that was, that was something, but I mean, I was told that that's actually what is happening in the industry right now because um, people were not uh, really sure about how the pandemic was going to affect um, author sales and and whatnot so so yeah it was a big surprise a big shift okay now my um experience is that uh the definitely dominguita series um was you know was a, a, a very good offer and that but that was both before and then i had a second offer for a uh from a different house from holiday house both of those were before the pandemic. Um, the the one um, offer that I received during the pandemic was considerably less uh, than the others. And, you know, in the end, you're going to get the same amount. So to me, uh, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I'm fine. But I think what happened is that the, um, the publisher is talking about more about they will be spending more money on publicizing the book. And uh, I did get some rights that I did not get for my other two books. I did keep some rights with this last contract. So for me, things change. And I, that was the same thing that I have a three, three um, payment schedule rather than two, which was what happened for the other two books. So um, I think it's harder to predict what's going to happen. So I think everybody is hanging on to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I should say, I mean, Scholastic hasn't changed. So, so some, I think it, it really depends on company, on a company, and you know, what that what they feel is correct or whatever. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so let's take the advanced conversation just a step further. Have you seen a change in advances over the years as more focus? is placed on ma marginalized creators and how much of the conversation about comp titles and PL or advances have you been involved in or maybe you've talked uh, talked to your agent about these alexandra 
So this is an interesting topic because we discussed it in part one of Ask a Musa, Ask, Ask Musa Finances, uh, which we recorded earlier this week. And I honestly, personally have not seen any differences. So I mentioned when I recorded this uh, in part one that as a debut author, um, my advance is still pretty much the same as it is now, even though I am an award-winning author and I have proven that I can sell books. So I, yes, I, I feel like in my case, nothing has really changed. I did get some better rights, uh, which Terry, you were discussing. So that is definitely a plus side. Um, and I was also able to renegotiate a contract that had previously been very bad royalty wise. So those are definite uh, good, um, I wanna say advances, but we use that word for something else. So good advantages uh, for sure, but it's in terms of the actual money that has been physically paid to me, no, that has not changed much since 2008 when I first published my, my debut. It's a, a tricky question for me because I have mostly illustrated before writing and illustrating. So all of my advances have in, been increasing over time. I've also been working with bigger publishers over time as well. So I feel like that has a lot to do with it. Um, and I also receive a lot of requests to illustrate stories um, with Latin culture and people in them. So there's, there's definitely something going on with that. Um, so I do try to take those on when I have time and I'm glad to see them trying to hire me for it. Um, but I'm not usually involved as much with the negotiations of things. So I'm not sure what's happening in terms of, of that with my agent. I, I do trust her to uh, make it as good as it can be, Claire at Painted Words. <laughs> um, and with, with my most recent three book deal, I, I was able to maintain more rights than before as well. So I, I guess it, it has been improving, but I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, for me, it has increased um, considerably. Uh, surprisingly, um, I started um, with a, a, a kind of up on the upper upper scale uh, in terms of middle grade novels, and then and then it's gotten a lot better. And <clears throat> I think that has a lot to do with my agent. <laughs> I, I'll say it again. I sing her praises just because she's she's no nonsense and. And so, um, so I, I feel pretty fortunate, but I, you know, that's for, for writing, authoring work. Um, translation work is also very, um, it, it, that doesn't pay as much as, as, uh, as uh, authoring books. And, and I've done, you know, I did three last year. And so they, they range from like $300 to $3,000. It's not very much um, for translating entire books. So, so it's yeah. So it's but so that's work a work of love, a labor of love, and and but I think I do it because of um, because it's really important to provide Spanish language 
um, text for our communities and, and vice versa for, for Latin American authors to have a chance to be featured in the United States, like this um, a novel that I, a short novel that I translated from the Spanish to the English called Never Forgotten, that that book, you know, they're taking a chance because that author is not in the, even in the country. So anyway, so so in terms of how we, you know, we have opportunities to kind of like, you know, make financial sacrifices in some, on, on some level, right? Because it's work and and all of that to 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 kind of expand the canon of Latinx literature. For me, that's really, really valuable. And um, and so um I, I would say also in terms of like the, the rights, um, I sat down with my agent. She's very clear about what rights um, she's been, she's been doing this over 20 years. So she's very clear about what rights should belong to me and what rights should not belong to me. Uh, for instance, we keep, um, we, we get North American rights, Spanish or, or give North American rights, Spanish and English. So if the book is published in, in Spanish or English in North America, that then, then the publisher will, will keep it no matter what. So far, all of my contracts have been that way. Um, but we keep like world rights. So, so she doesn't give up world rights. She also doesn't give, a, uh, give up like um, film and television rights and, and, and merchandising, those kinds of rights she keeps. Um, because she's got people in her agency that work that in those particular fields. And so, so it really depends on, on who it is. Um, in terms of like the, the landscape, um, you know, we, we can't not talk about publishing paid me the hashtag right in this context and, and how, 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 um, how, how much of a tragedy it is that people of color, BIPOC people are getting paid so much less than, than mid-list, you know, white unknown authors, right? And, and, and the BIPOC authors bring a lot of, of creativity and, and, um, and nuance, you know, that we haven't seen in landscaping and in our canons before. So, um, so that's, you know, I think that's inherently because of racism, because of xenophobia, because they are, our stories are still not as valued. And, um, and so, you know, it, it helps when you have an agent who's gonna, who's gonna fight for you and, and, and say, oh no, you know, this, this is as valuable as the, as the next. So, so the, that's my assessment of that. Okay. I don't know that I was paid more because I was because I am Cuban, but I I do believe that um, my books were bought uh, more because I because I was Cuban and because uh, of the uh, because the subject um, had to do with Latinx communities uh, because both of the offers of, uh, of my both the uh, the the series and my picture book both came very, very quickly. And I'm like, uh, Alyssa, um, my agent doesn't involve me in the conversations and I don't want to be involved in the conversations. I trust my agent and, you know, I would sing her praises like, uh, like I did does her. Natalie Lacosil is wonderful and, uh, and she has my back and I don't need to know any of, uh, 
of that stuff. I, I'm very comfortable with what she does. Okay, so um, let's talk about, um, I, you know, I said a little earlier that when I got a smaller offer, I received a promise of a great deal of marketing support. Uh, what kind of marketing support have your guys, have your books received? And have you ever had to take uh, the marketing job mantle yourself? Um, has this been, was this a factor when you were accepting an offer? Alexandra? I find this topic very interesting because I honestly have no idea what my publisher does. And when I have tried to send emails um, to my editor saying, yes, I would love to have a phone conversation with this publicist that you have randomly assigned me to, it's always been like, well, why do you want to talk to her? And I'm like, well, I want to know what they are doing. I want to know what avenues are being explored. And again, I just receive this kind of very blanket response saying, oh, well, well, they're doing the best they can. And you know, they're sending it out to various groups who we think are gonna be interested. But again, it's just so vague and so indecisive that I find it very frustrating for myself. So yes, I don't know what my publisher does and they have never, um, and I've worked with a few different ones and, and none of the publishers have ever explicitly said, yes, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna launch you in this campaign, we're going to promote you over here and over there. They've never actually disclosed that information to me. Um, every once in a while, I will get an email saying, oh, this company, this podcast, this radio station, this magazine wants to interview you. And I'm like, yay, fantastic. But that is a really occasional thing that happens. So I have had to take marketing upon myself. But at the same time, I really need to balance time money and results. So I am a very, very low income author and I have no problem admitting that. Um, so when somebody says that they're going to charge me $150 to write a letter, um, which I have paid because I did ask them to write this letter, but it was a, a letter soliciting uh, some school visits my thought when I got the bill was definitely like, ooh, this took you two weeks to give me a letter. I could have done it myself and not paid $150 for it. So I am definitely the kind that rather do things myself, especially if it's something that I know I have the talent to do. Because ultimately I rather pay somebody to do something I cannot do <laughs> or somebody who is going to have results better than, than I, I can have myself. So consequently with this letter, I paid a publicist to draft for me. I ended up not using because I instead went to our friend Google and I found um, the Facebook page of the people that I had wanted to send that letter to anyway. And I wrote them a quick, seriously, five minute note 
saying, hey, thanks for including my book on your list. I, I'm going to be in your state during uh, these weeks. If you're interested in a school visit, let me know. So very simple, you know, it wasn't like, buy me, buy me, buy me. It wasn't a marketing email, but it was just very simple, Facebook. And I got swamped with results for uh, librarians wanting me to come to their school. Five minutes of my time on Facebook and it was free <laughs> versus a $150 letter soliciting my services that never got sent out. So yes, I would say with marketing, play to your strengths and see, see what you feel is, is valuable. If you really don't have the time to do something, then yes, a publicist is probably your be best choice. But if you are able to do some things, see what, what you're capable of and play to your strengths. If you are someone who loves blogging, then post a blog. But if you're someone who like dreads the idea of blogging, maybe it's better to pass that one on to somebody else. Alyssa. I couldn't agree more with all of that. <laughs> um, it's it's really complex and, and interesting. And I feel like you can really take a turn and go in onto the deep end with a lot of it without much result. Um, I would say for my, my first book was Lucia the Luchadora that I illustrated and is with a small publisher. And I, I really have no idea what they did to market that book. It, it wouldn't have been much um, other than like review submissions and I guess the typical things that they do. Uh, and luckily the series took off with public interest, um, which was just a great result. And now with, with Big Apple Diaries and working with Macmillan, there's, I can, I guess I have access to more of what's happening than I've ever had before because they are keeping me in the loop more so than before with certain things like organizing virtual events. And when I did sign, um, sorry, when I accepted the offer, it was under the premise that I would be doing a book tour and a, a promotion in the US for the book. Of course that's changed, <laughs> um, but they are still organizing quite a few things all the way up, up until October. Um, and also doing things that I don't need to be there for. So organizing guest blog posts and interviews, which you don't need to be in person for. And those are things that I enjoy. So it, it's playing to my strengths as well. Like I wouldn't want to be involved in anything that I don't enjoy. Uh, so I would take on extra stuff with, with any of the books that I've illustrated if I'm, if I'm gonna be traveling somewhere pre-COVID. <laughs> um, I would always get in, try to get in touch with local bookstores. I've even done that in Singapore. I was in Singapore for a few days and I was like, what bookstores are here? Like maybe I can do something. And I ended up having a, a book event in Singapore where we made luchadora masks and like just had a great time. So, you know, I wouldn't pay to do those things if I wasn't already going to be in Singapore or wherever it was. But if I'm there, I'll, I'll you know, get in touch with people myself. And I, I like to keep Google spreadsheets of, you know, different people that I've been in touch with or different bookstores that are on my radar or um, schools and li librarians that I either know somebody that works there or, or something that I can get in touch with them myself. 
Haida, how about you? Well, you know, because I went with a big publisher for my debut, um, it came with a, quite a bit of marketing support. But I should say that there is a difference between marketing and publicity. So publicity in in a in a major house, you have the public the publicist assigned to you, and uh, like Alexandra said, you don't know who that person is, but they are assigned to you, and they go after everything that has to do with that that would be free so like like um book festivals um all the you know submitting to all the major presses the all the reviews that sort of thing that's what they handle so anything any kind of uh, you know event that would be free that's what they handle and marketing is actually money that they put set aside to, with paid advertisement, with paid spots. They'll pay certain blogs for you to write an essay or they'll, they'll you know, put you in, in certain magazines. Um, they'll do campaigns with other authors. Like my first book had a gender expansive child in it. And so like I was part of the Read with Pride campaign. And so, they'll, so those are all marketing dollars that are assigned. And, and one of the things that they won't do is like they won't, um, you know, give you, they won't make posters or bookmarks or, you know, little things that you can take to the different conferences that you attend to promote your book. So none of that happens, but, but they're kind of like these bigger dollars. And so um, I would say that I got a lot of, a lot of support um, in terms of marketing for, for the moon within. And, and the same with Land of the Cranes, you know, Scholastic has the all of these channels that that really, um, you know, they that, that are like the school 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 marketing and the school fairs. Um, they have a lot of um, resources there, direct contacts with librarians and whatnot. And they would do these like at these conferences, they would pay for these big, like, uh, luncheons. And, you know, they would pack them with librarians and teachers, and then you would make a presentation. And so that's all stuff that you do for free, but that's marketing dollars that are being pushed um, at, uh, for your book. And, um, and so um, very grateful for that, but I'm not so sure that that moved the needle, right? Like what moves the needle? <laughs> like I was on NPR, which my publicist got, right? I was on NPR and that moved the needle. Weekend edition, being on weekend edition, that moved the needle because the next day my book was was on Apple News. It was on like um, uh, you know Amazon number one bestseller, that sort of thing. Uh, but but being in in a library, those are like slower things and things that you see kind of later later on down the road. So um, so it's it's tricky, and and I would say that you know, not every author gets that kind of push. I, I, and I understand, I'm very grateful for it, but yet and still, you know, the, the, the people in marketing, because publishing is so white, the people, the publicists, they don't know how to market our books. They don't know the, the communities that they're missing, uh, especially in the Latine community. It's not, you know, they, they have no idea who the bloggers are. They have no idea who, who, um, uh, who the, like, even the news channels. For instance, right now I'm working on uh, the release of uh, Land of the Cranes in Spanish, uh, La Tierra de los Grullas, and, 
and it's they haven't talked to me about you know what Spanish language press they're going presses they're going to um, uh, approach and so that to me is like it's it's just indicative of of the kind of work that we have to do right like that that's the kind of grunt work that I have to do so I'm putting together a Spanish language press list to give to my publicist in order for them to um, to publicize the book so it, it it's terrible. And it makes me very angry in some ways because knowing that there are these big, you know, there are whole teams in these big publishers that are dedicated to marketing and public publicity, whole teams, and um, and and yet and still we have to create something like Las Musas to create a marketing support network. We still have to hustle, you know, and make the phone calls ourselves and that sort of thing. So when we should be writing books. You know, that's what we're creatives, you know, we should be writing books. So um, anyway, my two cents. Yeah, well, you're right. You're right. I think it, it totally, uh, it does depend on the house. Um, and I've had the three books and three different experiences. Uh, the first book, I was very naive and I thought that there would be a whole lot of help coming and it was just very much like what Alexandra said, you know, my little Dominguita um, was not, I, I had no idea who my publicist was, what marketing was. When my agent reached out to them, they said, oh, well, we're working on our front list, you know, uh, on, on, our, on, on our important authors, so to speak. And, um, you know, obviously I wasn't one of them. But on the other hand, my little book only, you know, the, the uh, paperback came out at the same time and only sells for $6. So I can understand um, a little bit of that. And maybe some of the problem was, was COVID. Um, but I did take for that book, I did do a lot of um, uh, marketing outreach myself. And um, I hired, see, you know, you have to decide what you can do. I'm not good with reaching bloggers or Instagrammers. And these folks uh, helped me reach bloggers and Instagrammers. And in the end, I don't know. I, I kind of think that it moved the needle because I got two things. Um, oh, there was one other thing that I did. I did reach out to, um, this, uh, to Kristen Cappy and she has a group called Curious City. And she helped me make activities for librarians. And then I put that along with the activities for uh, teachers that I had come up with for my books. And then she sent that out to her following and she did a giveaway for librarians. And I think all of that, um, that did move the needle because I ended up, uh, Kirkus named my book like top 15 word of mouth buzz books about a month ago and it was Amazon number one bestseller for Hispanic um, you know children's literature so I do think that moved it but and that was I think that was mostly well it was it was self-generated some of it I paid for and a lot of it I did myself um, I think in the uh, I, I hope I will have a lot of and I'm, I'm already seeing that with Holiday House I'll have uh, some publicity, but now in my book, which is coming out in January from a very small publisher, it's going to be their number one lead book. So it's like uh, Ida saying, they're putting a lot of marketing dollars on that. And I'm going to be 
I, you know, if, if they go along with, if uh, they're true to the word, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling and a lot of promoting for that book. So um, it does depend exactly on the sit. There have to be so many situations that affect uh, the marketing and the publicity for a book. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that it's also tied to to your advance, right? Like, so if the, yes. the company is giving you a significant advance, then they're going to put money behind it, right? So let's talk about what resources and services exist to help marginalized authors financially. Alexandra, have you found any? Well, there's this fantastic program called Las Musas that I highly (laughs) recommend. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say um, SCBWI is a great uh, resource, Society of Children Book Authors and Illustrators, because they will offer grants for debut authors and um, other authors who are just getting started. And not only do they offer um, possibilities for that, but in their newsletters, they will also include other kinds of awards that you can apply apply to, uh, you know, maybe it's a fellowship, maybe it's a uh, artist and residency type program. So I would definitely say that's a good resource. But I mean, I know we laughed. Las Musas is also a great resource because uh, there are a lot of ways to help um, authors, whether new or established, that don't necessarily require a lot of money or don't require any money at all. So you're not actually receiving money, but it does help you considerably in the fact that you don't have to spend money. So that is something that we always have to keep in mind as authors is, you know, something may cost a lot of money, um, but if through certain networks, you can get the same results and not have to pay it then it's almost the same as receiving money yourself because you're, you're not outputting money that you don't necessarily have. So joining uh, a critique group, for example, would be a great way to improve your writing, improve your networking, learn how the industry works instead of paying a professional editor to read your manuscript. For example, I agree that there's so much value in the things that you might not necessarily be receiving actual money for. A lot of value with that. I also look at the SCBWI grants page and newsletter frequently, and also the Latinx in Publishing grants page. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities there as well. Um, something I would really like to see um, is a service that helps people write stronger grant applications because I feel like if the process is too hard, it will turn people away who could really use that funding to make something awesome. And I, I only even thought about that because I um, live in Tasmania and I was looking at grants locally here and they had this service of helping me write the grant. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know, help me figure this out. I have no idea how to write a grant application. And I just thought that that was kind of amazing. So I'd really like to see more of that. 
I know. What about you? Well, um, so yes, I agree with both of you, um, Alyssa and Alexandra, uh, especially Las Musas. One of the proudest things that we just accomplished um, was creating a resource page. And it's it's on our website. So if you go to lasmusasbooks.com, you will see that in it, it, there's a directory of all sorts of resources. Um, you know, finding um, opportunities. Um, there's editors, there are authors, there are illustrators, there are um, uh, grant opportunities, awards, um, uh, bookstores. So you kind of have to kind of uh, look through the resource page and and spend, uh, you know, weeks on it because we did, we spent weeks on it. And this is all part of the kind of the ecosystem that exists for Latinx writers in the, in the United States. Um, and um, so that's definitely a place to start. Um, but I think financially, you know, um, writing grants definitely within the Latinx or the, the kid lit world is, it, those are really competitive and those are hard. So I would, I would kind of look even further out if, you know, and, and look at like the, uh, the NEA and even the NIH, you know, they also have grant monies that you can apply to. Um, in terms of, you know, a lot of times people have spouses or family members who help them, you know, write while they can, um, I mean, support them while they can write. So that's also another way. I mean, but there isn't really anything that is, is, you know, supporting creatives right now and people who are trying to, to break into the, the industry. And I should say that like even authors who are in the industry ha are having to have you know, a straight job or another job, and few of us are able to live off of our work. So, so that's that's a reality um, that that you know, sad reality of being a, an artist in the United States. Um, and so, yeah. So, I would look at your local um, cultural affairs departments. Look at um, at your state um, cultural affairs departments. If you're an immigrant and have dual, dual citizenship, for instance, I'm Mexican and I have dual citizenship and I have, I qualify for grants from Mexico because they give money to the artists <laughs> like here. So anyway, so those are all, all, all little things that you can do, but, but sadly the, the landscape and the financial help for artists is kind of very dried up and bleak. So, I am just happy that I don't have to depend on my writing income to uh, pay the mortgage. And you guys have all said it so well that I think we go on to the next question. And it's getting time to wrap it up. So um, are there any lessons that you learned the hard way after becoming a full-time author or anything that you wish that you had known? Alexandra, would you like to start? Yeah, for me, it was definitely the assumption that as soon as I became uh, under contract or published, um, and those are two different things, but in my head, they kind of went in the same little bubble, was that magically all the doors were going to open wide for you, and you were finally a published author, and yes, wasn't that fantastic? 
So that was a lesson that I certainly learned the very, very hard way because for, yeah, yes, I'm sure there are some people that as soon as they are published, the doors do magically open. Uh, for me, I definitely felt it was more like the door was open a crack. My foot was stuck there. So it was preventing the door from shutting, but I could continuously feel that door pressing against my foot. And I knew that if I removed my foot at any time, the door would slam shut. It wouldn't, it wouldn't automatically just stay wide open. Uh, so yeah, I would say go into this um, knowing that there is still a lot of work to be done and everyone is gonna have different experiences. I mean, here we are four authors and I can honestly say we've all had very different experiences in the publishing industry and sometimes one thing happens sometimes another thing happens so there isn't a normal and i think it's important for people especially who are starting out as uh authors that there isn't any set rules at all in the writing industry i love that idea of keeping your foot in the door that's a wonderful analogy Alyssa. how about you what did you I love learn? That. I love that analogy too. And, and also, you know, there really are no rules. Every, every contract that I've received for any illustration or writing job has been completely different. Every contract looks different. Every publishing company looks different. I think for, for me, something that I've learned um, is that I need to really be aware of my best work habits and rituals to actually get everything done. When you're, you know, holding yourself accountable for things, that's something that, you know, everyone says like, wow, that's, you know, the dream, but I find it really, really hard to work from home. Um, and luckily I didn't have to work from home as much during COVID um, with what was going on where I live. Um, but I do, I mean, it would be cheaper if I worked from home, but I do work in a, a public workspace, like a like a WeWork kind of thing, but the same, the equivalent here. And, you know, it would be cheaper, but it wouldn't be as successful. And I really need clear separations from work and home, uh, possibly because I'm working on memoirs that I really need to like shut it off, shut it down, go home and, and not be flooded with the thoughts constantly. Um, so that's really important to me. And also I would say, things that I've learned along the way with contracts and you know the first thing that I that I worked on Lucy the Luchadora I didn't have an agent so I navigated that on my own and it's been coming back to bite me ever since <laughs> so I would say uh, the real lesson with that one was to you know what to look out for in contracts knowing which publishers I would or wouldn't work with again and you know I, I go over my royalty statements with a fine-tooth comb because I have found mistakes before and I just, I have to look out for myself if the agent, or if you don't have an agent for that, um, just really being aware of everything that's happening to make sure that you're getting paid fairly and correctly. Absolutely, that's very true. If you don't have an agent, you do need to be very much an advocate for yourself and very much the accountant um, for your royalties. No doubt. Um, Ida, would you like to tell us what your uh, 
the best uh, lessons that you learned? Yeah, well, one one thing that I learned very early on, and that that is to never do an exclusive, um, to submit exclusively to one publisher. So I had um, I had this uh, opportunity at SCBWI at a conference where an editor asked to have an editorial exclusive, which meant that you would just work with them to develop the manuscript and then they would take it with the hope to take it to acquisitions. And, and, um, and I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, so I was just very naive about that. And, and, but at the same time, I had this really incredible weekend at SCBWI. I got, I got an offer for, uh, from my agent at this, like literally like within hours of having said yes to, to this publisher. And, and then luckily I signed right away. And then the agent came in and went like, oh no, 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 no. You have this exclusive, you can work with her only for a little while. And it's gonna be a very light editorial process and then you have to offer and if you don't offer then we're walking right like so that was really a big lesson because you know as a new author I've never gotten paid you know more than a hundred dollars to contribute to anything you know and it was poetry I was like oh yeah you want to give me this and it was just a little a very small offer when they finally did offer it was like a very small offer and um and luckily, with because of the agent, it 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 came up like eighty percent. So, so that's you know. So I would say um, that really helped um, solidify you know my value in the market um, and in, in the in the publisher. Um, if if it hadn't been for her, I would have accepted pennies. And so I would. Um, that was that was a very close call. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, just to kind of take that analogy um, that Alexander so eloquently stated that, that yes, you have to keep, you have to push your weight into the, into the room, sit down at the table and leave the door open, right, for others to come in. And, you know, that's, th that we have a community luckily we are a community of folks and and there are plenty plenty of seats and spaces for all of us and so so you know we might not be the only person or the only voice and it might you know the publishers might see that as like like competition but we we should not allow that to happen because just like for hundreds of years, we witnessed white authors write about the most banal things. Um, it's our turn. <laughs> it's our turn to be able to, to you know, to to take that seat at the table with our friend, with our door at, at with our foot at the door, and and be able to um, to to you know to be able to produce and and share with our communities that so desperately need our stories. So. Good luck with that. And, 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 and we got you, we got you. I guess that's what I'm saying. We got you, come on board and we got you. All right. One thing that I've learned <laughs> is that um, you do have to keep that foot in the door and you need, you have to continue to write. You'd have to continue to do your work 
and uh, and produce. And uh, when you first uh, get so involved in the in the editing, and then you're still doing your volunteer work, you're doing Las Musas work, you're doing this, that, and the other, and the and the writing is and and the debut, the debut time takes so much, and the writing just doesn't um, isn't happening. And in order to keep that those finances, that revenue stream to keep your name out, you still have to continue to write. And that's a really, um, that, that has really been difficult for me in this la these last few months uh, with the debut time um, to make sure that I continue. I, I have a lot of work that has been in the back burner that has not made its way out the door yet. So I think that's something that I have learned that I just need to push myself even more um, to get going. Mm -hmm. But don't you think that that has something to do with like having being able to say no and knowing your limits and saying, I can't yeah. do that and I can't do that. You're right. <laughs> Love You're you. right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But yeah, but that's very hard. That's very hard because mm -hmm. um, these are things that you've been doing forever and I always like to give back and um, but you, you do need to continue to produce. That's mm -hmm. a very important thing. Yeah, yeah, because, in, because what you give back is through your work, right? And so that's, you know, that, I think that that's probably paramount to, to anything that you would do for, for even your community. Uh, of Absolutely. <laughs> community of writers. Absolutely. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I think we're at our end. Alexandra Diaz, Elisa Bermudez, Aida Salazar, thank you. This has been a great podcast about finances, part two. If you would like to learn more about Las Musas or our books, please visit our website at lasmusasbooks.com or find us on social media at Las Musas Books. And be sure to check out our bookshop page where each purchase of one of our books goes towards supporting independent bookstores. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also sign up for the Las Musas newsletter to have podcast updates as well as other Musa news, such as release dates, teasers, spotlights, and more delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening.